And now, more tips with your host, Rebecca, on lifestyle improvement. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. Thank you so much for tuning in to Lifestyle Improvement today for part two of our interview with Dr. Jed Baker. Dr. Baker is a psychologist and the director of the Social Skills Training Project, a private organization serving individuals with autism and social communication difficulties. He's on the professional advisory board of Autism Today and several other autism organizations. He's an international instructor on the subject of social skills training and managing of challenging behaviors. He's an award-winning author of nine books. Among them is the book titled, No More Meltdowns, Positive Strategies for Managing and Preventing Out-of-Control Behaviors. Now, you mentioned step two, that we skipped yeah. step two. <laughs> well, well, you know, step two is when you really don't know what the trigger is. Mm-hmm. You, you've had a meltdown in the moment. You're, you're in the middle of a store or wherever you are. Your kid is melting down, having a major emotional, disruptive, challenging moment. And you don't even know why it happened. You didn't prepare for it. It's too late to prepare for it because it's already happening. Um, how do you put out the fire? How do you calm the storm? And so my emergency tool for these like – for these, and, and it's not perfect because it is a crisis and crises don't have perfect mm-hmm. solutions. So understand this is not going to work every time. But my best tool very often is uh, distraction. Distraction, how do I get my youngster's hijacked brain back to the logic brain? And I'm not going to have a logical argument with them right now because the, the forebrain's not there. I can't just talk to them. They're more like a reptile at that moment. I have to calm them, soothe them. So I think of three categories of ways to help a youngster get distracted, soothed, regulated, and then later we can talk about how to solve the problem. Novel items, things they've never seen before. So I might have a particular um, – Maybe I have a particular Japanese anime playing card in my pocket that they've never seen before. In the middle of their meltdown, I say, is this one val- is this card valuable? What is it? And instead of addressing the problem at hand because they're not listening, they're not logical, I just get their mind off of it. And if I can intrigue them, we can sort of look at that card together. They begin to calm and then later we can talk about, OK, how could we have solved that problem? Um, so novel items, special interests, right? So I might have kids who love Disney characters. So at the moment of this explosive meltdown, I bring out my Disney book. We look at it together. They calm down. And then we talk again later about what we could have done differently. Um, the third issue might be a sensory – some different sensory input can be calming. So some kids um, might like to bounce on a uh, bouncy ball or uh, squeeze a, a cush ball uh, or they might want to like sit in front of a fan and feel the wind in their hair or listen to music or take a walk. Certain kinds of sensory imp- or swing, certain kind of sensory input can be calming. My one uh, warning in using distraction is that when somebody's trying to avoid a task, like they don't want to do their homework, they don't want to clean up. And they're tantruming. You got to be careful about using distraction then because if at the moment they don't want to do their homework, they're screaming and yelling and you say, no worries. Let's read our Disney magazine together and have popcorn. Are we rewarding a tantrum? And the answer is it's possible. 
So what I prefer people to do when somebody's trying to avoid a task is to simplify the task. So so if you have five sentences to write, let's just write one and then we'll take a break. Or to learn to ask for a break rather than tantrum to get out of something to avoid a task. Say, can I get a break? Can you time your breaks so they don't last all day, two, three minutes, take a break, then we come back, we try again. So that's a time where distraction is a little tricky to use. But if somebody's tantruming, not because they're uh, avoiding a task, but maybe they're tantruming because they didn't get the toy they wanted at the toy store and they're screaming and yelling. That would be a fine time to uh, maybe listen to music. Let's go in the car and listen to your favorite CD. Um, no, you didn't get this toy, but oh, look at this here. Um, I, I found uh, this is when I have my playing card. That, oh, this is a cool playing card. Did you see this one yet? Let's talk about it. and get them out of the out of the store calmed you know, back into the car and that kind of thing. So distraction would be a good way to be prepared to deal with an unexpected meltdown because hopefully you have already, like you stated, a plan for those meltdowns that you already have a history for. But for an unexpected meltdown, then you should always be kind of like a box of surprises prepared just in case something like that happens because, you know, environments can come with surprises for some of these kids. There's no way to know what can trigger something. So, right. Well, so so one thing we want to do for the unexpected meltdowns is we want the parent, like you say, to be ready with a toolbox of novel items or a special interest or a sensory soothing activity. But the the next level of that is to have the kid be able to do that for him or herself. And what that means is we want to develop a little relaxation folder with that child to prepare them for all the unexpected meltdowns. And what we're saying to that child is whatever happens today, if you get upset, look, these are the activities that seem to calm you down. And these are the people that you trust that can help you solve the problem. So in that relaxation folder, what we might have are either words or pictures that show the activities that are calming for them and show the people that they trust, that they know will help them solve the problem. And uh, so you might have literally a picture of the child upset, a picture of them doing the activity that's calming. Maybe it's playing Legos. Maybe it's taking three deep breaths. Maybe it's taking a walk, walking the dog. And then a picture of them with the person they know can help them. So the statement that we're giving a verbal child, you can do that for kids with less language, but for verbal kids, we add a statement and we're saying to that kid, all problems can be solved if you can wait and talk to the right person. This is my mantra as an adult, but also for all my clients and students, all problems can be solved or at least greatly resolved, reduced, if you can wait and talk to the right person. These are the two ingredients because... Um, I might say to them, I promise that I will make this problem better for you. But I might not be there when it happens. Can you wait 10 seconds for me? Can you wait an hour for me? When I have high school students who are pretty verbal kids and and, and older students, I use the 24-hour rule. Can you just give me one day, 24 hours, and I promise I will make this better for you? So one of the themes that we've been talking about, uh, Rebecca, is hope. This is key here. When a child has hope that things can get better, Jed said 24 hours, he'll make it better for me, they're less likely to lose their temper. People lose it when they're desperate and they've lost hope. Mm -hmm. As long as I have hope and trust that there's somebody who will help me, I can hold on to my temper. This is your host, Rebecca. 
And now we will take a short break, and we will be right back with more ideas on lifestyle improvement. As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshops, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All these could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible unwanted physical problems. Take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com and discover how we can help you help yourself. Caregiversurvival101.com or call 877-957-7387. That again is 877-957-7387. As long as I have hope and trust that there's somebody who will help me, I can hold on to my temper. And then time and time again, when we solve the problem, we come back to that child and said, see how that worked? We thought it was going to be a disaster, and yet you were able to wait, and eventually we, we made this much better. That's an important lesson to take with them over time, that they've learned that things do work out. If I can be patient, things will work out. That's a critical lesson. Oh, that's a critical, profound, very uh, significant lesson, trust and hope, because that brings you to safety. And if you feel safe, then, of course, you would be more willing to uh, come to a place where you can be calm. And so, absolutely, I think that's extremely powerful. And and I, I really think that your program, inviting and encouraging uh, children or whoever is learning this process to do self-calming is so empowering because you don't just set up a plan for them, but then you give them something that they can take with them for the rest That's of their right. life. That's right. Yeah. And I use it. I mean, you know, I go to the airport a lot to go do a talk somewhere. And I know if I'm, you know, going to be a little bit in the afternoon, not in the morning in the airport, there's a great likelihood of a delay or cancellation. And I go to the airport saying to myself, all problems can be solved if I can wait, talk to the right person. And it might not be the gate agent who's already (laughs) being surrounded by angry customers. It might be the other gate agent who has access to the same computer. And if I have that faith, Mm -hmm. that trust, I can keep myself calm enough to charm the other gate agent to get me on another flight. (laughs) Absolutely. And most likely, because you have that calm attitude, you may just be an agent that will help that agent (laughs) to feel better, right? That's right. Because again, emotions are contagious. So if I come out I come out being, you know, you get, you get more flies with honey than vinegar. Yes. As we so, uh, they've had a rough day and yes. I, I said, you okay? Is everything all right? all right? All of a sudden I show that I care about them and now I can maybe be able to help uh, solve my problem. So true. 
all through and all along, you've been kind of talking about those triggers, behavior triggers, and then consequences. So those are your ABCs of your, your, your program. And then you develop that plan. I guess what I wanted to kind of get to, because, um, you know, of course, people can read your book and get more details on how to do this. Sure. But what do you consider to be a successful plan for, you know, someone to use, a parent or a caregiver or a teacher? Well, it all depends on what the situation is um, that's problematic. I mean, the, the book is really tailored to looking at prevention plans for specific types of situations. You know, so if you're talking about a youngster who is battling with his parent every night over homework, right, there's plans to modify that homework and teach them skills to be willing to ask for help to have what Carol Dweck would call a growth mindset. These are, that's a very important kind of attitude for kids to develop that, you know, the key to success is being able to try and get help when you need it uh, with the idea that, you know, uh, your abilities change over time. Mm-hmm. Kids who have a different kind of mindset that they're just supposed to know this off the bat, uh, they, they don't, uh, don't want to necessarily uh, try as hard. Uh, they don't want to deal with mistakes. They don't want help because help somehow spells out for them that they're deficient in some ways. And we have to change that attitude that help is an intelligent thing to do. You know? So the answer to your question is it really depends on the triggering situation. But I did want to cue in our listeners to one important thing. A lot of people will hear what I'm saying, prevention plans, and say, well, shouldn't we just have rewards and consequences? Isn't that enough? Don't the kids just need more discipline? And the issue is uh, discipline is a starting point, and it's okay for all of us to have rules and consequences when people don't follow those rules. But what I've found and what the research bears out is there's about 30% of kids or more for whom punishment can often escalate the problem uh, if, if that's all we are doing when there's a repeat problem. Okay? If a kid gets punished for a bad behavior and changes their behavior, fine, terrific. But if you tend to have the same problem day after day, week after week, for those kids, there may be skills that are missing for them. They don't know how to deal with the situation. Every time we give a kid a writing assignment, they throw a fit parent punishes them and then the same thing happens the next day and the next day, well, it's time to stop punishing them because the research is showing if we do for those kids, often it escalates uh, where, you know, now this is a kid who not only, you know, doesn't want to do his homework, but now he got punished. Now he's angry and he's tearing apart his room and then he gets punished for tearing apart his room and now he's more angry and so he refuses to go to school the next day and now you have another problem. And so for, why do I say 30% of kids? Well, one in anywhere from 40 something to 60 something, depending on the state that you're in, have an autism spectrum disorder. One in anywhere from five to 20 have ADHD. One in something else have a severe learning disability or anxiety, mood disorder. 80% of kids on the autism spectrum have a comorbid anxiety disorder, at least among high-functioning kids with autism. So you put all those kids together and you can't just reward and punish them. They might need skills. You might need to modify the demands that we place on them. They might need a schedule to know when they turn off the video, they can come back at a certain time and and do it again. Otherwise, they're just thinking they're losing something. They're in the moment with it. Um, So for all those parents who are, hey, tough love worked for me, just remember, one size does not fit all. And it might have worked 
for a particular child, particular parent, but then you might have a kid who's a little different and needs some more coping skills. And how do you know this? You know this if what you're doing hasn't worked. If what you're doing is working, okay, terrific and good for you and that's great. But if it's not working, that's when we say, let's try to prevent the problem and not just react to it. And you know, I'm so glad you mentioned that because uh, there are several approaches out there right now. And uh, one very popular approach right now that is being used in, I know, educational settings in general and actually is very popular utilized with the autism population is the ABA approach. And so I'm wondering what your feel is as far as your approach versus the ABA. Let me just say that ABA means lots of things to lots of people. And really what ABA means the application of behavioral principles to a particular situation. And it usually comes out of two theories, operant conditioning, classical conditioning. Much of what I talk about in the book is actually based on some of those uh, behavioral principles. But in practice, there are some people who emphasize external rewards, the consequence part, but don't emphasize the antecedent part, the preparing ahead of time part. I think a really good behaviorist is looking at both. So what that means is I, I keep coming back to a simple example of a kid who doesn't want to do their homework. Rather than just rewarding them for doing their homework or punishing them if they don't do their homework, we have to look at the antecedent. So that's part of behaviorism too, which is to say, wait, the trigger or the antecedent to this problem is writing. This kid doesn't like to write. And why don't they like to write specifically? Well, we have to figure it out for that kid, but it might be that they have fine motor issues or that may not be the issue. Maybe they have trouble remembering what it is they're supposed to write about, in which case the support that they need is to review the information. Somebody has the notes or has created an outline for them. Um, maybe they have trouble organizing their ideas. So they, they know the information, but they just can't quite get it organized. So someone needs to help them, you know, organize their thoughts in outline form. So the point being that I think good behaviorism really does look at the triggering situation too. Uh, what happens in practice is sometimes people focus only on the reward side, the consequence side, and they miss the, the trigger. Uh, and that not, that's not necessarily um, just what ABA is. That's maybe half of ABA. <laughs> it's, it's not a full picture. I had uh, an author uh, speak to us uh, a while ago. He's uh, the author of the book, Uniquely Human. And yeah, yeah. In one of the things, I know Barry very well. Oh, he's a fantastic he's a person. Guy. Yes, uh, he is. And you know, I think that what is so truly significant there is that I think we're coming to a place where we're having to realize that some people are going to see the world a little different. And so when we look at those triggers, that's going to give us a different view of what's going on, which may not match the general population, correct? That's right. And I think also what Barry's responding to um, with regards to sort of that reward consequence approach mm -hmm. is, is people who to some extent misuse ABA. Um, so, we, you know, ABA has given us a lot of really good strategies, but like anything else, it can be misused. Mm -hmm. It can be done by people who are more novice 
and don't have all, all the experience and have a very limited view of here's a behavior. We want to reward the positive behavior. Mm-hmm. We want to punish the negative behavior. Um, and there's been a history where people have misused it. They've used aversives and punishment. And so this is, you know, uh, this is not good behaviorism. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that ABA itself, the concept is 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 entirely faulty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in school, behaviorism meant two different things. Uh, one with a capital B, one with a lowercase b. And uh, the I forget which was which, but basically mm-hmm. one of them was anything related to operant conditioning and classical conditioning, that's behaviorism. But the other form of behaviorism was anything that we can measure, that we can see sort of change in behavior um, if we have scientific evidence that this works, uh, that's a behavioral technique. If there's no way to measure whether it's working, well, then we, we don't have the evidence, right? So <clears throat> the reason that's important is fields like cognitive behavioral psychology, where we begin to think about thoughts. For example, we have a kid who's getting teased, and we say to that kid, hey, listen, when that kid teases you, it's really his problem. He's upset because he's failing and all other things, and that's why he's taking it out on you and everybody else. So don't believe what he says. If that intervention of telling this this kid th- this kind of thing, changing his thoughts and his interpretation of the kids teasing him, if that leads to um, a change in this kid hitting that kid back, like he's no longer striking back mm-hmm. and he's able to cope better with it, mm-hmm. um, well, that's scientific evidence that uh, that intervention works. But we're, we're talking about people's thoughts and interpretations, right? Uh, in the former view of, of behaviorism, what they call black box behaviorism, um, people didn't want to talk about thoughts. And that's very limiting. Mm-hmm. Um, classical conditioning, operant conditioning can give us lots of information, but they're not the only theories in the world, and we shouldn't only be constrained by two theories. What we should be constrained by is what has evidence, right? What's going to help? All that said, I think the fact that your particular approach starts with empathy because the accepting of self and the child is that crucial. I yeah. think that really colors how the entire process goes from that point on. And I, I think that, that that makes it very unique in that way. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I um, appreciate the way you articulated that because I think that is the basis of what we're saying. No matter what behavioral strategy you have, if there isn't trust, if there isn't hope, if there isn't that positive relationship, uh, good luck making things work. Remember that in our program, we present our opinion and the opinion of our guest, and is not to be interpreted as medical advice. As a caregiver, you spend your days caring for the needs of someone else. But what are you doing to help yourself? In our Caregiver Survival 101 workshop, we teach you the self-help skills that will empower you to be healthier and more productive. Do you feel tired, overwhelmed, have difficulty sleeping? Do you feel isolated? All this could be signs of caregiver stress. Chronic stress can impact your health adversely and ultimately cause irreversible and unwanted physical problems. 
take a step towards your own personal care. A healthy caregiver is a better caregiver. You owe it to yourself and your loved ones to do what is needed to stay healthy today. Go to www.caregiversurvival101.com. That again is www.caregiversurvival101.com. And discover how we can help you help yourself. Or call 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101. Caregiver Survival 101, because care starts with you. What if there was a way to help your struggling child perform better academically? Would you pick up the phone and call? Lysol Improvement Occupational Therapy Services in Puyallup, Washington, supports wellness and optimal educational performance. Instead of just reteaching information, we endeavor to identify the possible root causes for your child's learning difficulties. We offer targeted testing to assist in the creation of an individualized plan and provide you with the brain training tools that can help improve academic performance. Visit our website at www.lifestyleimprovement.com or give us a call today at 877-957-7387, extension 101. That again is 877-957-7387, extension 101, for an initial free phone consultation. Lifestyle Improvement Occupational Therapy. We're ready to partner with parents and to help your child succeed. Lifestyle Improvement Radio is now online. Listen to our interviews at your convenience by going to www.lifestyleimprovementradio.com. If you like what you hear and would like to hear more about a specific subject, send us an email to producer at lifestyleimprovement.com and let us know what you think. Support our sponsors and let them know you heard about them at Lifestyle Improvement. Thank you so much for tuning in to Lifestyle Improvement today for part two of our interview with Dr. Jed Baker. Dr. Baker is a psychologist and the director of the Social Skills Training Project, a private organization serving individuals with autism and social communication difficulties. He's on the professional advisory board of Autism Today and several other autism organizations. He's an international instructor on the subject of social skills training and managing of challenging behaviors. He's an award-winning author of nine books. Among them is the book titled, No More Meltdowns, Positive Strategies for Managing and Preventing Out-of-Control Behaviors. Thank you for tuning in to Lifestyle Improvement today. Don't forget to join us again next Sunday morning from 7.30 to 8 for part three of our interview with Dr. Jed Baker.